The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Museum Life with Carol Bossert. Museums are important whether we work in them, for them, or simply love visiting them. Throughout history, people have collected things and put them on display to enjoy. But today's museums offer much more than rooms filled with stuff. They provide places to learn and share experiences with family and friends, as well as sanctuaries to unplug, rest, and refresh. On today's show, we'll discuss how museums can remain relevant and sustainable, reach out to new audiences, and remain attuned to cultural and technological trends. Now, here's your host, Carol Bossert. Welcome to Museum Life. This is Carol Bossert, and today we are wishing a happy birthday to Left Coast Press. Yes, that's right. On March 16th, 2015, Left Coast Press celebrated its 10th year. And in honor of that, I have asked uh, founder Mitch Allen to join us on the show today to talk a little bit about uh, Left Coast Press as well as the trends and changes he's witnessed uh, in the last 10 years and, of course, perhaps give us some uh, uh, insights into what the future holds. Now, before uh, I want to introduce Mitch a little bit, um, many of you know him as the... Uh, uh, editor-in-chief and founder of Left Coast Press, but of course before that he was also a publisher of Altamira Press, which he founded and directed for its first 10 years. And he is uh, also spent 20 years at Sage Publications as executive editor. And something that I did not know, and I know Mitch will share a little bit about this when he talks about his background, is that Mitch has a PhD in archaeology and is an active archaeologist. He publishes in his field and he is a visiting professor professor of anthropology at Mills College in Oakland, California. And so, Mitch, thank you uh, for being on the show today. Welcome and happy birthday. Well, it's quite an honor being here. Thank you very much, Carol. I appreciate it. Well, it's it's uh, it's an honor for me. As as uh, my listeners know, I have been fortunate to uh, showcase uh, several uh, uh, Left Coast Press authors and always enjoy having them on the show. And so it does seem fitting uh, that we're doing the show uh, in honor of Left Coast uh, Press today. So one thing, Mitch, I ask all of my guests, I think it, it helps us all sort of ground our conversation a bit, is could you just share with our listeners a little bit about your career trajectory and maybe highlight those key moments or experiences that have really shaped your thinking about what you do uh, today and why you do it? Well, there's very few people uh, except a few lapsed English majors who uh, go into publishing. Um, there are not a lot of nine-year-olds who are running around saying, I'm going to be a publisher when I grow up. 
for me, as with many other people, it was a uh, uh, alternative to graduate school, which got to be ever more oppressive and harder to get through. Uh, and so I ended up finding something where they actually, where I actually operated like a graduate student, but where they paid me rather than me paying them. And I thought that was a pretty good, pretty good solution. Um, I started as an intern at Sage Publications almost 40 years ago. Uh, Sage, as you might know, did a lot of social science material. I started in marketing, later switched acquisitions, and uh, started as an intern and just stayed for a quarter of a century. Um, they, at, at some point, they decided to give me a, um, uh, enough money to start my own little subsidiary, and which we called Altamira Press, and we decided that it would be the uh, humanities division for Sage. So I guess the real key for me in publishing museum books was the fact that uh, Beverly Sorrell showed up at Sage's door one day with a book proposal on, on exhibit labels, and uh, they didn't know quite what to do with it, but Mitch had just started this uh, humanities division, and they said, well, museums, that sounds like humanities. Let's send that off to Mitch and see what happens. Um, I had a conversation with Beverly. It, you know, I had no idea what museum publishing was all about, but I started to look into it. Uh, it turned out that the first edition of this uh, exhibit labels book that she'd done, as you probably know, was published by the American Association of State and Local History. So I called them up um, and met Terry Davis, who runs ASLH. Um, at that particular time, ASLH was going through a pretty rough patch, and Terry had just started as the interim director and was more than happy to let me take uh, the exhibit labels book that they had had done previously and let Left Coast publish it. And at the same time, she said, why don't you take the whole publishing program that we have? So uh, suddenly, within the first six months of Left Coast Press, I find myself, found myself being one of the um, key publishers in the, in the museum field simply because the AASLH list had been one of the largest ones, and they handed it over to me. Um, so I, I think as far as museum publishing, uh, it was sort of a trial by fire since I had absolutely no knowledge of the museum field at that time. And suddenly I found myself having 60 books uh, about museums to publish with another dozen or so in the queue. Uh, so you know, what you're doing, uh, Mitch, in that conversation is reinforcing what I've always believed, which is publishing really is not for the faint of heart. Uh, particularly independent publishing, yes. Um, I had the advantage of having Sage backing me at the beginning with Altamira Press, but Left Coast is pretty much uh, a result of the California housing bubble and the money we were able to get out of that in order to be able to, from refinancing our house to start Left Coast Press. So, yeah, we're, we're on our own dime, and uh, uh, making mistakes has uh, very... Uh, personal consequences. You know, I keep telling people if I make too many mistakes, I lose my house. So yeah, it's not for the faint of heart. Oh my! So uh, so that actually leads me into and begins oh. to answer my first, uh, my next question, which is, how did Left Coast Press come about? We now know how it was financed. <laughs> um, well, Altamira Press, as uh, many people in the museum community know, published a lot of things for museums. Uh, of the whole ASLH book list, a bunch of other books. Uh, we ended up uh, do helping develop uh, Past Perfect Museum software, which is uh, also very common in the museum community. Started several journals. Uh, and Sage, at some point, decided to have, go through a reorganization and decided to sell off its little subsidiaries, including Altamira Press. We ended up in the hands of Roman and Littlefield, which is, uh, as people will probably know, another active publisher of museum studies, but they're they're basically developed their museum studies list because of Altamira. Um, I had 
creative differences with Roman and Littlefield, and after a period of time, decided to leave and start all over again. And that was the genesis of Left Coast. That was that was uh, ten years ago. Wow. Well, congratulations. I, I, I am a firm believer that some of the best acts that we take as, as humans in our profession is to leap first and ask questions later. Uh, so I'm so glad that you did. Well, thank you. Uh, so looking back over less left coast presses, I mean, 10 years of, uh, of, of of work and and publishing quite a quite a body of of uh, of literature uh, in the museum field. What do you think uh, has been your, or what do you consider your greatest accomplishments? Well, um, as a business, I would say the greatest accomplishment is the surviving the economic downturn that everybody went through. I mean, museums suffered as badly as and sometimes worse than we did, uh, and the business community, the universities, everyone. Uh, the fact that we were small and had no backing uh, and that we're still standing uh, 10 years later is probably the biggest accomplishment of all. But the, um, I mean, the more intellectual answer to that question is that I think we've managed to make a mark in a, in a limited number of places so that we are both known and recognized and hopefully admired in those areas. Um, most publishers define themselves as textbook publishers or professional publishers or scholarly publishers. Uh, we inter- did it a different way. We just defined ourselves by the, mar- the markets or the audiences that we served. And so uh, museum professionals, people in museum studies, people who do research on museums is one of those audiences. We also publish for anthropology, cultural anthropologists, for archaeologists, people who do research methods, environmental studies people. But the whole concept was, rather than saying, well, we are textbook publishers or we, we publish professional materials, is that we publish things that museum people want. So we will do everything from, well, if someone approached me with a comic book about museums, I would go for that. Uh, we do a lot of professional materials of tr- for training. We had uh, four museum journals. We've done reference books. We've done scholarly books. Uh, anything that a museum professional, uh, someone in the museum community might need, those, those are part of our domain. And I, and I think that's, if you want to talk about a proudest accomplishment, is that we have had the in the three or four fields that we are active in, I think we've actually been able to accomplish that, where we really do have a presence in each of those fields, and people know and look to us for their informational needs. You know, what I find interesting in that, Mitch, is is that you approached uh, the work of, of, your, uh, of, of publishing in a in a manner similar to many of us uh, in the mu- who develop products within the museum field, and that is look to your audience first and have your audience uh, define your product. Uh, and and I, have you ever considered that parallel before, or has anyone ever mentioned that parallel to you? Uh, no, but I, that I, I see that it exists, sure. And, I, and you know, certainly people who are either work in museums or people who consult and are invited in to help museums uh, can't have a very narrow approach on how they look at things. I mean, they have to have this total institutional approach because everything they do, whether it's develop an exhibit or a, a, a membership campaign, has implications throughout the institution. So I, I think that, that it's a very, very good parallel. So, uh, so then let me ask you the, the, uh, sort of the opposite question. If you were to do it again, what would you do differently? 
Oh, I'd make fewer mistakes. <laughs> I, I think, you know, there's a learning curve whenever you're doing something, and it's just, uh, um, I, I've, I've uh, when, you, when you can't make too many mistakes because there's, there's no uh, safety net, uh, it'd be nicer if I were smarter about it. But, you know, I'm not the smartest person in the world, and uh, I gamble and try things, and um, uh, sometimes they work and sometimes they don't. If I actually had one uh, thing that I would do differently, I would say, as I said, we published in three or four different fields, and the museum field is probably not our largest one. Um, in other areas where we publish academic, we publish mostly university professors, and they need to publish in order to be able to uh keep their jobs and get promotions. In the museum world, the people are generally doing something else and writing up what they've done and publishing it is a secondary uh, factor. So we, um, we haven't, we, we've in a lot of ways taken the easy route and had people who come to us and publish their books, most of whom are university professors and haven't been aggressive enough in going out and convincing people who are in the field and have a lot to say, museum field and have a lot to say to uh, actually spend the time to sit down and write. If I had to do it all over again, I'd be more aggressive with those uh, those very smart museum people and, and try to get more of them to write written things for us. Well, you got an, at least another 10 years by my calculation, so I think that that would be a uh, an interesting goal for you to set. You know, I have always found uh, the museum uh, world, and you've mentioned it as well, we... Uh, we don't have to publish. Um, you know, I too come from an academic uh, background where you know you were publishing as much as you possibly could because of, of uh, you know academic credentials. Uh, this is a field that doesn't necessarily have to. Um, nor I think up until maybe about um, I honestly I would say ten years ago uh, even wanted to. And personally, I I take. I give you, I give Left Coast Press a lot of, of credit uh, for being able to do that. You know, when you can go into a conference and see an entire uh, section of the conference given over to Left Coast Press publications and you start looking at the titles and seeing uh, that there are so many, many useful things. Uh, I, have, have you seen, uh, it, it sort of generates, uh, it's self-generating. More and more people read things, they become interested in things, uh, and perhaps think of them, themselves as having something to say. Have you noticed that, that same trend, or am I just looking at the past through rose-colored glasses? Uh, no, I, I think it's there, and I think that we and several others, including my old haunt, Altamira, now Roman Littlefield, and Routledge, have done the field uh, some good by being able to convince people to do these things. I mean, there really are, um, uh, you, you and I were, when we had discussions before, we talked about this, that museum professionals very often are tend to be isolated. They're really, you know, except in the largest institutions, there isn't a whole group of people who do exhibits or a whole group of people who do marketing and membership. Um, very And very often in the smaller institutions, it's one person or two people who are doing absolutely everything. Where do they get their knowledge to be able to know how to do it right, How to what the best practices are in the field, what the people who are, who do have the chance of to create the best ways of doing things, how do they learn all these things? Well, in our, our new mediated age, it's much easier, but but until the last few years, um, there has to be the literature for them to be able to learn how to do this. And what we published most of the time has been these kinds of things, which really are practical guides for, for 
professionals. Uh, so I, I so I, I think the need to the, the the buyer's need is there. The professional training need is there. Uh, it's just being able to tie somebody down and have them have them tell what it is that they've done, so that a large number of people can learn it rather than being brought into an institution as a consultant and then trying to do that work at one at a time or two at a time or ten people at a time. So I, so I, th- I think we pre- performed a kind of service for the profession that way. And uh, if anything, there needs to be more publishing rather than less. I couldn't agree with you more. And with that, we're going to take a, a short break. And when we come back, more with Mitch Allen looking at uh, trends and uh, that he's seen in challenges for the future. So remember uh, that you can always reach me at carol.bossard at verizon.net. I love to hear from my listeners. Let me know what you think of the show. Let me know uh, what guests you would like to be uh, listening to and what issues we really need to be uh, discussing. This is a forum uh, about museums and for museum professionals. Uh, And it only works if we're all talking together. We will be back in a moment with Mitch Allen, so stay tuned. This is Carol Bossert for Museum Life. American Heroes Network is a program for and about our American veteran heroes and their families. Join host Gary Ray as he shows what is being done to help our veterans and showcase the companies and organizations that are helping our veterans and their families rebuild their lives. Listen for American Heroes Network, live and powered by the Voice America Variety Channel, every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time. make our world a better place but not sure where to start tune into better worldians radio with the creators of the social game on facebook called a better world join hosts ray mary sue and gregory hansel who will inspire you to make a big difference in small ways they'll speak to experts authors volunteers and everyday people who are changing the world daily Better Worldians Radio is heard live every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Variety. What can you find on Get Real Radio? Well, quite honestly, who you really are. Join host James Robinson each week for a program designed to reveal more about yourself and your world through words of wisdom and profound guests. You'll discover more about the spiritual movement and how it can work with you and alert you to problems you may not be aware of. It will educate, titillate, and enlighten your mind. Get Real Radio is broadcast live every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. This could end up being the best time of your week. Do you want to know what's really going on these days? Well, Capital Thinking takes you inside the worlds of policy, politics, law, and business. What happens in Washington, on Wall Street, and in our nation's legal system impacts your business every day. We're taking you on a behind-the-scenes tour of all of it. Each week, we bring you unfiltered conversation with a variety of influential policymakers, lawyers, and business leaders. I'm Kevin O'Neill, and I'm your host as Capital Thinking tours the halls of power. Join me for Capital Thinking on the Voice America Business Network each Thursday at noon Eastern and 9 a.m. Pacific Time. 
You're tuned into Museum Life with Carol Bossert. To reach our program today, please call 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. Or send an email to carol.bossert at verizon.net. Now, back to Museum Life. Welcome back. This is Carol Bossert for Museum Life, and today we are singing, virtually singing anyway, Happy Birthday to Left Coast Press. A uh, 10-year anniversary. It has been uh, a wonderful road, but I'm sure there have also been the ups and downs. And in honor of this, we have Mitch Allen, uh, the founder of Left Coast Press, with us today. And Mitch, we've been talking a little bit uh, before the break about uh, the the need for doing more publishing in our our field of of museums. You know, certainly uh, publication in the uh, in the hard and even what we call the soft sciences, uh, psychology, sociology. Uh, that is a mark of a uh, of professionalism. And museums seem to have come a little late to the party, not because we just inherently wanted to, but uh, because of of other other uh, obligations that we have. As you say, as you said, there are many really wonderful museum professionals uh, out there, but they are doing everything from opening the door, taking the uh, the tickets, and uh, cleaning the cases. So it's 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 tough. Uh, to find time to be able to uh, to start writing that book or thinking about that great idea. So how, I guess my question to you is, how do you find your authors and then how do you nurture them through the process? Well, there's usually a lot of begging involved. <laughs> um, it, it, most of the fields we publish in, as I said, are academic fields and university professors will come to us. Um, in this particular case, because the museum field doesn't really have a significantly large um, uh, prof- uh, academic component, um, a lot more of the writers, in fact, are people who are who work in the field. We do, in fact, have a, the opportunity to publish a lot of people who do work in museum studies programs, and those, uh, you know, they do get academic credit for writing and publishing with us or with anyone, for that matter. So um, that part is a little a little bit easier. But even they, most of the ones that I have talked to are not full-time museum studies professors. They are either in some other department and they have other, therefore, divided allegiances, or they are both, they're both academics and practitioners. So they move back and forth between the, um, uh, between the university and museum institutions. So even they aren't the easiest uh, people to find to sort of corral and get time to have write for us. Um, in terms of the the, the the museum professionals like yourself, um, it's just really hoping that they will be able to find a time in their schedule to be able to do this. And uh, I, boy, I sure I sure wish that you know people like Kathy McLean and Gail Anderson weren't as busy as they are because I would sit them down and have them write a book for me every year. But uh, unfortunately, they they do have uh, other lives, and these other lives are are more important because, well, they generate a lot more money and keep them alive and keep them going and also keep them learning. And this, uh, the what they would do for me is largely digest what they've learned and, and tell other people about it that way. So it's, it's um, 
I don't, I don't know that there really is a, 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 a trick here. Uh, we have people who I've had under contract for books for four or five years that at this point I'm pretty sure they'll never ever write it. There are people who I see every year at the AAM meeting or another museum meeting who promise me that they're going to start working on something and never do. And then there's people who, uh, who make the commitment and then just say, I'm going to you know, block out you know, two months this summer where I was going to take my trip to France, but I'm bringing my computer with me and I'm going to sit down and pound out a manuscript in that, in that period of time. Um, I, those, those are the people I like. <laughs> I, <laughs> because they, well, they actually can. And, and you know, it, it, everyone's got their own, their own style of being able to write things. So uh, it, it's hard to be able to pull that off. Well, I, I, I agree with you, although if someone would pay me to go to France for two months, I promise you, Mitch, I'd get a book out to you. <laughs> I wish I wish I had the kind of uh, backing to be able to do that. But you know, the other the other way, in some of the people who do write a lot are writing short pieces. They're writing for museum newsletters. They're writing uh, pieces for the institutions they're they're uh, working for or contracting with. And there have been several cases that I've actually asked someone to say, "Well, take all this stuff and put it all together, and you know, see if we can glue the the edges and." eliminate some of the uh, duplications, and we'll end up with a book that way. So we, we've actually done a few sort of uh, put-together kinds of books, too. But those aren't the easiest things to do, either. Just the people write different things in different styles over different periods of time. And for them to actually make a coherent whole out of it, it's a lot harder than it looks. Yes. And uh, on the other hand, I think that uh, sometimes when... When we look at a book, it seems like a daunting endeavor, but if it can be broken down into, as you say, manageable smaller pieces, uh, there's been a lot of, of, uh, of writing recently uh, from simply authors of all different shapes and sizes saying, that, you know, the, the, the real key to writing is to write. Oh, yeah. There's no question about that. That's, you know, step one to be, becoming a writer is to sit down and write. And whether it's writing a shopping list or writing a, a, a blog or an article for a, a magazine or journal or writing a whole book, that's the way to do it. Um, and, in fact, we encourage that. I mean, one of the things that all this writing does is build an audience for your work. Uh, I, I think last week or recently you had Frank Vagnon on your show. And he's written a lot of short pieces on this anarchist guide to historic house museums. Um, and he's written a lot of things in a lot of different places, and now he's putting it all together in a book for us, which will be out this coming fall. But the fact of the matter is that he's actually written a lot already. People already know him, and he's also put pieces of the manuscript together in these various writings and built himself an audience for the book for when the book comes out. So they... they we actually encourage people to do that kind of writing as part of their book or as pre uh, prefatory to their book so that when the book comes out, people will already know who you are and there'll, there'll be an audience built waiting for you to, to have the book come. come. You know, that uh, that's very interesting. It, uh, it, it seems to dovetail nicely then into the world that we're living in now, this electronic uh, digital world of of social media with people writing blogs, uh, making statements, uh, communicating through virtual discussion, uh, discussion chat rooms. And it's as if that uh, I, I would think that that would be helping uh, 
your your uh, your cause to try to get these things codified into books uh, that that uh, don't just uh, wander off into the ether. Well, and that's and that's uh, one of the questions. I mean, with this world of blogging, do we actually need museum books anymore? Um, and I don't know the answer to that question. Um, I guess the field will have to decide that. I mean, the people who actually sit down and write books for us probably do it in a more um, thoughtful way. I mean, blogs, there's, there's the need to be able to produce something quickly, regularly, and over time it turns into a body of material. But um, it doesn't give you the opportunity of stepping back and trying to look at the bigger picture and trying to be able to synthesize it all. Uh, blogs don't work that way. So uh, I, th- I think they're probably complementary in a lot of ways, and I think a lot of the kinds of things that used to be uh, the kinds of things you have to wait for the book for are much more available now through various other, various other media. Well, and I would assume that with the proliferation of museum studies programs across the country, that there is a greater need for books to be used as textbooks or or, uh, uh, points of discussion. Are you finding that as well? Well, yeah, that's that's been one of the nice things of the last decade for us is the fact that the the number of museum studies and the size of museum studies programs has grown. One, it shows interest in the field, uh, certainly. And secondly, it's provided a place for these books that we're producing because if we can get someone to use one of our books in their class, that does sort of highlight those best practices. By the time that museum student goes out to become the professional directing a small museum or being the marketing director of some large museum, they already have that information imbued in them and can can go back and refer to it. Um, so, yes, the, the growth of museum studies program has been a great, great boon to us. And also because of the fact that professors are looking around for materials to use, the need for them to start writing things or requesting for us to find things for other people to write things for them uh, has increased as well. So that's been, that's been very helpful for us, too. Uh, you know, one of the challenges that, uh, that we've talked about on, on this program and, and we talk about with, with colleagues of, uh, is that so much pertinent writing uh, that could be applied to museum uh, studies and museum works are often being published uh, in academic journals uh, that are not so accessible to uh, to you know, museum practitioners. And so that seems to be an area as well where Left Coast Press has been able to make that leap. Uh, do you find that you do that some kind of you know, so cross-marketing so that if you have a book in, that is published in, say, history, or anthropology, archaeology, you can then also market it to a, a museum field. Is that working? Yeah, actually, the area in which we do that the most uh, are things like research methodology. Um, people in museums are looking all the time to find out what their visitors want and need, and they're doing surveys, they're doing focus groups, they're doing ethnographies, they're doing oral histories, and that's one of the areas that we publish a lot in. And if you look at any of our museum catalogs, in the last page there are what's the latest that we have in research methodology. How do you go to an oral history, or how do you run a focus group? 
Um, so even though we design those for people in sociology, anthropology, education, social work, uh, the fact that museum professionals use those same kind of techniques and need to have best practices in those as well means that they, that kind of cross-marketing can take place and, in fact, does take place. We, we always bring those with us whenever we go and have an exhibit at AAM or any other museum conference. And certainly uh, people who are doing visitor studies work or people who are doing um, research within the museum on whatever topic they need to uh, find those of value. And like as I said at the beginning, that's how Beverly Sorrell first found me. Uh, she was, uh, she's obviously a very well-known evaluator in the museum field. And Sage at the time was the leading publisher of evaluation, which is why she sent them her book proposal on exhibit labels in the first place. Now, the museum field itself has its own research traditions, and we have, uh, we have a, uh, we, we will be trying to develop books on how to do research in museums uh, over time and once we can find the, the people to write them for us as well. So there's, there, are, there are a bit of diff- few differences within a museum as to how to do that kind of work. And we have some books like that and are and developing more. Beverly, in fact, did uh, one us, for us on called Judging Exhibitions, which is on you know, how do you do uh, research on whether an exhibition works or not. So that, that's, that's largely a methodology book, but specific to museum professionals. But they're, you know, what I find interesting, um, you know, you were talking about textbooks. Um, a lot of, you know, when I think of a textbook, I think of a textbook today that also, you know, may be a hardcover thing, but it also has uh, an online tutorial and it may have uh, audiovisual materials that can be used, you know, really focusing at a, at a broad teacher audience. Is that something that you might be uh, considering doing? Well, to go into the whole trajectory of what's going on in textbook publishing uh, would probably take longer than we have here. Um, it, that's, that's largely a, a numbers game in a lot of ways. Uh, people who teach introduction to psychology or people who write textbooks and publish textbooks on introduction to psychology can expect their classes might have, at a large university, 300 or 500 or 800 students. Uh, I don't know of any museum studies program that's that large or would want to have that many students in a single class. So it's it's much more of a um, craft guild training in museum studies. So the the materials that go along with uh, a traditional textbook in a traditional field probably would not be financially viable. And I'm not sure that they're all that much needed. I mean, it seems from the museum studies programs that I view that much of the work is also done not just in the classroom, but in linking the students to actual museums and the community. And so I don't know that there's a way of making it um, universal enough, the kind of training things, the, the, the auxiliary things that go with a traditional textbook. I'm not quite sure that it's easy, that would be that easy to do for museum studies courses. I'm not sure that, have to try if someone's got that has has a, a set of them in a museum studies program. Sure. <laughs> well, I think that's interesting, and 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 uh, as you said, it 
I, I like your definition uh, or characterization that uh, museum studies uh, and museum um, or museum practices are the sort of the craft guild training, uh, reminiscent really of the of the uh, Middle Ages, where you apprenticed and you worked on your craft, and then you you became uh, known in your own right, uh, as opposed to uh, being churned out through uh, you know you take a series of courses and then you have a you know, your plumber's license or, or uh, ability to do research. It is much more of a, uh, of a practicing uh, field than, and I, I just, many of, of my, uh, my guests talk about that and how they came to museums, but uh, I'd never really thought about that as a, as a challenge uh, in, or even a limitation in how we, uh, how you then have to serve that field through publications. It seems to me that most of museum studies programs are not based around the classroom learning as much as they're based around the internships that go along with them and being able to go out in the field, into an institution, learn things, and then go back to the classroom and talk about them and work through them. So, so I think that this whole craft field idea is, uh, is a very sensible one because it does, museum studies programs really do force people out into the community, uh, force them to learn what they need to know in the museum um, firsthand and getting all the scars and making mistakes while they do, and then uh, coming back and trying to assess it and work through it with their professors and with their, their colleagues in, uh, in various courses. I've, I've been invited um, at uh, JFK University out here, for example, to go and listen to the, um, the final projects from some of the uh, from the Museum of Studies courses, where they talk about the internships and the programs they developed in their internships. And it's really quite impressive that they've actually turned into practicing professionals while they were still in their Museum of Studies programs. Uh, it, was, it was very, very useful to, to see how, how much of that actually takes place out in the field as opposed to taking place in the classroom. Good, very, very good points, and I want to follow up on a couple of them, but before I do, let's take our final break of this program, and when we come back, uh, more with uh, Mitch Allen at Left Coast Press. Uh, Remember, you're listening to uh, Carol Bossard on Museum Life, and we will be back in a moment. make our world a better place but not sure where to start tune into better worldians radio with the creators of the social game on facebook called a better world join hosts ray mary sue and gregory hansel who will inspire you to make a big difference in small ways they'll speak to experts authors volunteers and everyday people who are changing the world daily Better Worldians Radio is heard live every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Variety. What can you find on Get Real Radio? Well, quite honestly, who you really are. Join host James Robinson each week for a program designed to reveal more about yourself and your world through words of wisdom and profound guests. You'll discover more about the spiritual movement and how it can work with you and alert you to problems you may not be aware of. It will educate, titillate, and enlighten your mind. 
Get Real Radio is broadcast live every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. This could end up being the best time of your week. Do you want to know what's really going on these days? Well, Capital Thinking takes you inside the worlds of policy, politics, law, and business. What happens in Washington, on Wall Street, and in our nation's legal system impacts your business every day. We're taking you on a behind-the-scenes tour of all of it. Each week, we bring you unfiltered conversation with a variety of influential policymakers, lawyers, and business leaders. I'm Kevin O'Neill, and I'm your host as Capital Thinking tours the halls of power. Join me for Capital Thinking on the Voice America Business Network each Thursday at noon Eastern and 9 a.m. Pacific Time. You're tuned into Museum Life with Carol Bossert. To reach our program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to carol.bossert at verizon.net. Now, back to Museum Life. Welcome back. This is Carol Bossert for Museum Life, and I am here uh, with virtual balloons and a cake and candles for the 10th anniversary of Left Coast Press. And we have, we've been talking with, uh, I've been talking with the founder, Mitch Allen, about uh, the, the publishing business, which is not for the faint of heart in this particular field. And Mitch, again, I just want to thank you on behalf of the field for doing so much in uh, really codifying uh, such a, a, a solid and impressioned uh, body of work for the museum community. Yes, there are other publishers uh, that do uh, do projects, but, but you really have sort of taken this into a true body of work that is, is uh, I think, really pushing our field forward and I believe will uh, we'll put us in, in good, good shape for the year years to come. So thank you uh, very much. Oh, and so now, n- now I got to ask you, as I'm sure everybody wants to know, including all of your authors. So what's <laughs> your favorite book? So that, that's kind of like asking somebody about who their favorite child is. And if you're, if you're a smart parent, the answer is you can't really, they're all wonderful, every last one of them. <laughs> But so I so I won't give you a name. But I do want to say that the ones that I've been the happiest with are the ones that were somewhat off center and didn't. Uh, we didn't know there would be a market for them. Uh, for example, we have published uh, novels to use as textbooks. We have published comic books as research. We have published research on fairly strange topics that. No one really thought would be topics that would uh, garner an audience, and sometimes they failed and sometimes they succeeded. But the fact that we tried them and and some people seemed to find them good and useful was would, would probably be my answer. That uh, the things that that the things that are not logical to succeed but somehow managed to, I think that's uh, that would be something that would be my answer to my favorite book. And and there's not one of them, there's many of those. Good answer, Mitch. <laughs> so I, I, won't, I won't get a bunch of angry calls from my author saying, why wasn't my book the one you chose? <laughs> no, well, you know, as you said, I sort of had to, I, I had to ask. Uh, 
And I, but I, I do think that that's interesting. What I've noticed in, in looking at, at the, uh, at your offerings. And of course, I, I reviewed that a little bit. I, I do. Uh, I'm fortunate to have many uh, Left Coast Press books on my shelf. So it really is just takes a glance over to the bookshelf. But I think the ones that I have found most useful in my practice are, are the ones that took a, a broader look at a topic and try to put it with, uh, discuss that topic within a larger social or cultural context. Uh, museums don't exist in a vacuum. And uh, they, those authors that can bring in the trends of the day in society or the needs of a community, I think, will, uh, will probably stand the test of time and may even have some kind of, of cross-marketing capabilities. Well, interestingly, again, as I, as I told you, we, we, we also publish a lot of academics in a variety of uh, fields in social sciences and humanities. And in those worlds, museums are hot now. I mean, it's a topic that there are lots of people who are writing about museums as cultural institutions and museums as community institutions. Uh, so there's a lot more academic writing, most of which most museum professionals won't want to read because it's couched in a kind of language that's not particularly useful or valuable. But um, uh, certainly, and, and we've published some of this, but for, well, we, well, we publish a lot more uh, professional, practical things. Uh, we have published a few of these as well. And um, it, it's, it's kind of interesting to see how, how, the, how the, for example, anthropologists or cultural studies professionals have discovered museums as being, uh, suddenly, suddenly noticed that museums are a key institution in the community and um, are now trying to assess what that means for the community, what that means for knowledge in the community, what it means for the trans- transfer of knowledge, what it means for um, how how community views itself, how it views its heritage, and so on and so forth. So I, I've, um, yeah, so you, you may not know it, but museums are hot. Wow. Well, this is this is very good to know, and it occurs to me, do you, because you do have, you uh, have this you know, sort of overview of what's going on. Do you try to do any kind of literary uh, dating or matchmaking? You sort of, if you get a an author in an academic field, do you say, hey, you know, maybe there's someone over here that might make a uh, a very good uh, uh, collaborator? That's actually one of the real joys of what I do is that because the trends sort of wash over the intellectual community, the university, museum, and so on and so forth, I get to see them moving from place to place. Uh, for example, this whole movement toward community engagement in museums, that's been going on in healthcare for a decade now. And suddenly people in the museum community are starting to talk about it. And I'm saying, okay, well, it's about time that museum community has finally figured this out, that this is an important thing for them to know. Um, and so it's, 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 and, and I, can, I can tell people in, um, in, for example, healthcare, well, you should look at what's going on in such and such museum as a parallel to what you're doing. Or I can go and talk to people who are writing on community engagement museums as, oh, by the way, there's a huge literature in the health community on this topic already. Why don't you look at the following couple of books? Unfortunately, not published by us, but, you know, they're still very useful to have. Um, so so it, it's, it, it's, it's nice to be able to see, uh, in a lot of, well, I describe publishing as being a professional dilettante. 
I know a little bit about a whole bunch of different things. And if you get beyond a five-minute conversation, you can show, you, you'll realize how shallow my knowledge is. But I can see across many disciplines and many fields to see trends that are coming up and, and hopefully uh, be there at the right time. So when the trend becomes an important one, uh, I'm already there with somebody writing a book on it so that people will have the information they need. That. That uh, that is a marvelous skill, and uh, in in just hearing you express it and talk about it, your passion for what you do uh, really shines through, and I'm sure that that's a a, a major uh, ingredient in the success that you've had over the last ten years. So, what does what do you think the future holds? You know, I, I know there'll be another 10 years and a probably another 10 years after that of really great, great publishing. But what uh, I've, we talked a little bit about it before, there is you know, such a, a push in, uh, in, in digital outlets uh, for, for uh, short publications and blogs and, stu- and such. And it's no secret that newspapers are sort of a dying breed. So how, do, how are you going to uh, uh, take advantage of, of uh, sort of the, the trends and, and move, move, move forward? Well, I don't go anywhere. And when people sort of say, "Oh, you're a publisher," so what's going on with eBooks? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that is that is the, you know question number one that comes out of people's people's mind people's mouths whenever whenever I go anywhere, um, and that's actually not not an issue. I mean, the, the the delivery system of taking something that's written as a a um, linear narrative from chapter one through chapter twelve and taking it off a printed page and putting it onto an electronic file, that's not a big deal. Um, it's, it's, it's just the same thing in a, different, in a different delivery system. What is different is the fact that the electronic media allow you to do many different kinds of things that paper doesn't allow you to do, and there are things that paper does that electronic media can't do. Uh, so it's really hard to figure out where this is going to land as far as um, what what a publisher of museum professional materials does when we reach fully reach the digital age. I'm not, I'm not sure books will ever disappear. I'm not sure paper books will ever completely disappear. But the range of possibilities are enormous, and they sort of range from from aggregation to disaggregation. I mean, people can now, if you're looking for one particular datum, uh, you can probably find it somewhere on the web. And also, if you want the entire body of things that have ever writ- been written about museums, someday that will probably also be available on the web. So that you can, so that the trends are either toward larger bodies of information or very small, specific bodies of information. Um, and we, you know, being a small press in a very large information ecosystem, are not going to be the people who can create these. I mean, the system's requirements are just too large for us to be the creators of those. We can provide the a lot of the content, and hopefully, if we're smart enough, provide a lot of the innovative content that fits into these systems. But how those systems get delivered, how you as a museum professional access them, how you pay for them, how somebody monetizes them so that it, the system can be perpetuated for the long term. I mean, every publisher talks to every other publisher about these questions. Every publisher's conference is involved, all involved, involved about that. All the publishing blogs are all about the electronic movement 
and so and it's it's and it's not all that different than anywhere else in the world. I mean, museums are talking about this as well. How do we do we put our collection online? How do we get visitors to virtually visit us? How do we use the, uh, the electronic media to interest people to the point where they will come to our institution and take a look at the the authentic objects? And I mean, all those kinds of questions are not. There's slightly different questions in the museum world than in the publishing world, but they're the, they're of the same nature. Is how do you know what what is this all going to do to the way that we do our business? If I were a really really smart person and I probably had a, as much money as Bill Gates, I could probably figure out a way to help the museum community do this. As it is, I will probably be a, a piece of it, but uh, someone else will probably be who has a lot more money than I do will probably spear spearholding how that's going to happen. That always is a uh, an important consideration, and I think in the museum world we we forget it uh, a little too often that so many of our services that we rely on are work in a a for profit. Uh, framework, and that doesn't mean that any of us are trying to get rich uh, off of off of these things. We we often are involved in museums because of a, a of a greater why, not a greater what. Uh, but if we don't cr- uh, orchestrate our business in a in a way that allows us to keep the lights on and pay the mortgage and pay the other people that uh, that need to work for us, then we're not going to be able to provide that service. And so we we need to remember that that making sure that the business plan is solid first is one of the greatest things that we can do. Well, that that applies to nonprofits like museums as well as it does to for profits like Left Coast. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> So, all right, in in the couple of minutes we have remaining, if there is one thing that you would like everyone to know about Left Coast Press, what would it be? Uh, I think that we're part of the museum community and want to be accepted as that. Um, We don't have our own institution. We've joked at some point about uh, starting Left Coast University. Um, Maybe we should start the Left Coast Museum to go along with it so that we can look like more part of the community, but what we do complements what other people who are in the museum community are doing. Uh, We don't publish in a hundred different fields. We only publish in three or four, and we have a number of people who are dedicated just to publishing and advertising and producing things for museum professionals. So I, so I, th- I think the, the answer to that question is that we want to be considered part of the community, uh, even with the dilettante knowledge that I have, um, that uh, hopefully that we can contribute to what it is that you do and be an active part of what you do and help help uh, move the enterprise along. Uh, if we can do that, I, could, I would say and still keep our ship afloat, I would say that we've, uh, we've, we've accomplished what we wanted to accomplish. So, so um, yeah, I'm, I'm, um, for, for someone who's had, uh, never had any museum training whatsoever, never worked in a museum, museum whatsoever, I, if, if I could be considered part of the museum community, that would be a, a, great, a great honor. I, I, well, you have one vote at, at the very least, and I'm sure you have more. Uh, and I'm assuming that uh, listeners out there who think, well, I do have a kernel of an idea, uh, they should just drop you a line? Oh, absolutely. Um, Mitch at com, or go look on our website, and there'll be addresses there. That, and um, 
places to ways to reach us. Uh, yes, uh, I'm, I'm certainly always interested in people's ideas for for writing new things, uh, whether it's a book or something else. Uh, certainly love to have, be in touch with folks and and work out ways that w- which that um, that can be best done. Well, Mitch, again, thank you so very much uh, for coming on the show and for doing what you do. Uh, I, I can't thank you enough. I feel that it is just so very important, and you fulfill a significant need in, not only in uh, the U.S. Uh, with uh, publications, but worldwide as the museum community expands and, and continues to develop its vocabulary. So thank you so much for being on the show today. Well, I'm very flattered to have been asked. Thank you very much. And uh, we will be back next week with another great guest and another wonderful show. And in the meantime, please do contact me at carol.bossert at verizon.net. Let me know what you're thinking about, how you liked the show, and what else we can be talking about. Until next week, this is Carol Bossert for Museum Life. Thank you for tuning in this week to Museum Life. Please join your host, Carol Bossert, again next Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. What museum issue is on your mind? Tell Carol at carol.bossert at verizon.net. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 